Good evening, one and all. It feels like we're going deeper and deeper and deeper, doesn't it? We've been looking at these really big questions that all of us, I think, ask at various times in our lives. Well, I should just say good evening to those lot as well at home. Good to have you with us. Um, so these three big questions, we started with uh, that first question, very much an emotional response, how am I going to get through this? And then we moved into what's possibly more an intellectual question, although still deeply heartfelt, which is, why aren't my prayers being answered? Why isn't God doing what we long him to do, long for him to do? And now we come to what I think is perhaps the most profound question of all, which is, where is God when heaven is silent? Where is God when I don't sense his presence, when I don't hear his voice, when I don't see him act? So let's pray. Lord, it feels like as we come to this holy Saturday, we are standing on holy ground. So I pray that you would give us grace to hear your voice in my words and ultimately to know you better, the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. Amen. So Holy Saturday, I'm going to call it Holy Saturday because that's what I've, I'm used to. Sandwiched between these two great days, Good Friday and Easter Day, we're at that point in the story of Jesus, the story that we celebrate as Christians and the story that becomes like our story. And we're at a strange point when we get to Holy Saturday because it's an in-between day. It's what I call a liminal space, uh, a space of being like on a threshold. We've had the drama of the cross, and we have got the glory and the power of the resurrection yet to come. But on this day, on Holy Saturday, nothing happens. Nothing is done. Nothing is accomplished. And I think that's what makes this space, if you like, this Holy Saturday, such a significant place for us. Because I believe this is where most of us live our lives, in this in-between space. We know the cross and we rejoice in what Jesus has done for us. But perhaps we don't yet see fully the power of the resurrection in our own lives or in our communities, or we certainly don't see the glory and power of the resurrection in our world. I think the other reason that Holy Saturday is such a significant day is that it's because we are confronted with death. And I know, I'm sorry guys, this doesn't feel like a spring-like sermon, <laughs> but bear with me. Um, death. The physicality of death. Jesus died, something that we will all experience, something that uh, all of us can be certain of, perhaps the only thing we can be certain of in this life, the death of our physical bodies. 
It's really interesting. All four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, talk about what happens to Jesus' body. They all describe Joseph of Arimathea uh, going to Pilate and asking him to give, uh, asking Pilate to give him Jesus' body. And each one of those writers uh, mentions that linen cloth, that little detail, and each one records the body being placed in the new tomb. Some of us here have seen a dead body. Uh, I would say it's a privilege, uh, but many of us perhaps haven't seen a dead body, although very sadly we've all seen them on our TV screens, particularly recently. Dead bodies are cumbersome, they're heavy, they're difficult to maneuver. Their skin feels cold to the touch. Sometimes there are body fluids that are excreted after someone has died. Joseph and Nicodemus and the women handle Jesus' body. They take care of it. They wash his body as best they can, and then they wrap the scarred, bloody, and broken body in linen and place it in a tomb. And then they have to leave it there. And so this is the moment that we have to stop and stay in. This is Holy Saturday, the day when God's Son lays dead and cold in a tomb. God is silent. God is not saying anything. There is no sign from heaven, no voice heard, just perhaps the echoes of what might have been. This is where God is when heaven is silent. Some of you might have heard of a woman called Helen Keller. Uh, when I was a teenager um, at our school, we put on a school play about this woman called Helen Keller. She was born in 1880, and she became a great American author and activist and educator. But uh, at about 18 months, uh, she um, became, through a virus, I think, she became deaf and dumb and blind. And for a few years, she found it very hard to communicate. And I think the reason why this story moved me so much was she um, got a teacher at the age of about seven who taught her Braille, how to read Braille, and taught her how to lip read by uh, placing one hand on someone's throat and one hand on their lips. And so through that teaching, she could then um, communicate more easily, and she eventually learned how to speak herself. But I think that's such a moving story, because communicating, of course, is what is so important to us as humans, it's what makes us human. We heard, didn't we, about how Ben communicated with his eyes. It's so important for us to have that connection with another person. And it's exactly the same in our faith. That's how we come to faith. We come to faith 
through being able to communicate with God, we sense him speaking to us and we feel as though the Bible is like speaking to us today. And we feel as though we can speak to him in prayer and in worship. So what happens when that communication between us seems to die? What happens to our faith when we don't hear God's voice? When we feel as though our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling? When we really don't feel as though he's there? Where does it leave us? Does it leave us alone and just being left to fend for ourselves? Maybe we ourselves have felt a bit like Helen Keller did before she learned to hear and see in a new way, alone in a dark world. And this place is important for us because even though we know in our heads and our hearts that we are Easter people, I think this can be our lived experience. And it's not an easy place to be. It's a place of struggle and doubt and disconnection. And if it's not us who's experiencing it, perhaps it's someone close to us, someone who we've walked alongside for a long time. It's not a good place. And I think for a lot of us, it's not an easy place to stay in. So, what do the women do in their Holy Saturday? And what do we do in our Holy Saturday? Well, I suggest that they did three things. They stayed together. They did what they normally would do. And they watched and waited. So first of all, they stayed together. And this is so important, isn't it? When we're in that dark place, not to be even more isolated than we already feel. It's so important to be with the other, with somebody else, to be together in this place or with other Christians. I notice that it's the two Marys that are at the tomb, and I think there's perhaps other women there. But I think for all of us, it's so uh, important to have each other. And I know that Perhaps for some of us, we're in that place, but for others, we can be the strong one. We can be the comforter to somebody else who is in that place. And as I say, that's not an easy place to be, because if we're honest, we love being with people who build our faith, who make us feel positive about God, not people who perhaps are doubting his goodness and his power. But maybe God is asking you to be that strong comforter, the one who speaks truth into darkness. The second thing that the women do is that they carry on doing what they would normally do. They've been caring for Jesus through his life. Uh, The Gospels talk about how the women uh, met Jesus' needs. And I see them here just doing what they would normally naturally do. And when we are in our Holy Saturday, as it were, it's important for us to just carry on doing what we would normally do. Praying, reading the Bible, coming to church, talking with our friends. 
And it can feel a little bit like we are going through the motions. I know for me, there was a time in my life when I felt as though I was coming to church and singing songs, but was just singing them with my mouth and not with my heart. And a very wise older lady said to me not to worry, but to carry on. I think I was feeling as though I wasn't being honest, as though I wasn't being authentic. And she said no, she reassured me to just carry on doing what you would normally do. Because the lovely thing is, of course, that God sees our hearts. He knows us completely. We never have to pretend with God. But he also sees our actions. He sees us persevering. And thirdly, the thing that they did as much as they could was they stayed close to Jesus. This picture of these two women sitting by the tomb, watching and waiting, to me, is a beautiful picture of prayer. They sat and watched and waited in their confusion, in their grief, in their pain. They stayed. I think for a lot of us, when we go through these dark times, these times when we don't feel God's presence, our prayer life can look very different to what it normally looks like. Perhaps what we used to do in the past, what used to work for us, just doesn't seem to be doing anything for us at all. And so I encourage you to imagine experiencing God in the unexpected, perhaps in ways that you would never have normally done so before perhaps through liturgy that you wouldn't have used before, or a pilgrimage, walking a pilgrimage, or through painting, or different sorts of music. God can meet us in new ways. We can learn, I suppose, just like Helen Keller, how to communicate in new ways. The night before Jesus died in the garden, he said to his friends, would you stay with me? Would you pray with me? Would you stay awake? Would you watch with me? And Jesus asked that because of his humanity. He needed people to stay, his friends to stay with him. And to me, that is a picture of faith, that that staying with, that persevering, that holding in there, hanging in there, when it looks really bleak and nothing seems to be happening. I think there's that faith expressed very often in many people that we read about in the Bible. And I think it's that sort of faith that we've seen in many of our Ukrainian brothers and sisters, a hanging in there, a persevering against the odds. And so when Jesus says, would you stay with me, remain with me, He's asking us that when we're in that dark place to keep on persevering, to keep on staying with him in prayer. But then something quite beautiful and wonderful happens because as we stay with Jesus and pray to him, we begin to realize that he is doing the same for us. As we watch and pray, 
we begin to see that it is not us who's doing the watching and the praying, but him. It's not our patient endurance that matters, but Jesus's. He is the one that remains faithful when we are not. He is the one that continues to watch over his world and to pray for his people. He is the one who waits with patient longing for change. He is the one who stays with us. So we're now just going to listen to a chant, a prayer. Um, the best prayers are sung, of course. And we're going to listen to this sung prayer. And it's Jesus' command to us to remain and watch and wait. Uh, the words are, stay with me, remain here with me, watch and pray. But the amazing thing is, isn't it, is that as Jesus asked us to do it, when we sing it or when we respond, we realize that he is doing it for us. He is remaining with us. He's staying with us. He is watching and praying. So we'll hear it now. <clears throat> 